Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 21st episode of the podcast, and I bet you have no idea who the last to drive number 21 is, do you? Well, it's Esteban Gutierrez, of course. I'm sure all of you knew the answer to that one. The Mexican former F1 driver has actually been involved in the sport as, as a reserve as recent as 2020, but hasn't occupied a full-time seat since 2016 in Haas's debut season. Yes, he, he drove for the Steiner ship. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't too quick. Uh, Grosjean kind of slapped him up. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Gutierrez. Uh, we just had a pretty entertaining French Grand Prix. So let's get right into it. It's lights out and away we go. There was a pretty big storyline that I can't believe I forgot to mention in the preview. Especially with all the Mercedes hype there was and I was kind of feeding into it. It was Lewis Hamilton's 300th Grand Prix this weekend. I can't believe that didn't cross my mind. I even saw it, and I didn't mention it in the podcast. And it came out just before the Friday action that Nick DeVries would actually get running in the seven-time world champion's car for FP1. I think DeVries did okay. Um, I think he finished like... I think he actually fell to ninth by the end of the session I think it was ninth, maybe it was seventh, but he did okay. I think he was half a second off of George. Um, And let's be honest, George is a fantastic driver. And this is DeVries' first really running in the Mercedes. Yes, he got a running in the Williams, but that is a completely different beast. The Mercedes is very hard to drive, as I think we've all been able to see this year. And I think that's kind of just, it just proves that Russell and Hamilton are world-class Yes, they're not winning races. They're far away from winning the championship this year. But the Mercedes has pace, but a, a skilled driver has to has to be able to work that thing because like I just I don't feel like a guy like I don't know, who's someone I can throw out there. Like uh I don't know, like an Esteban Ocon. I really don't think that he would be anywhere near in a Mercedes what George and Lewis have been able to do. But anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about some early storylines. I think in practice, Williams actually looked like they had improved pace. Um, I boldly predicted going into the weekend that I think Williams would be improved and that Albon could be in the points in P9 or P10. Um, I'll get into that later, whether that came true. But over practice, Albon was doing extremely well. Latifi, not so much, even though he he had brought the improvements. He finally got the upgrade, I'm sorry, I should say, in France. He still wasn't quite on the pace of Albon, but they, they did look better. And another team that looked much better was McLaren, actually. They looked like they were actually going to be on top of Alpine, just as I was saying last weekend, that Alpine had started to look much better than McLaren. It looked like it was going to be very close, probably favoring McLaren at Alpine's home race. Ricardo was actually looking pretty strong, close to Lando, and Ocon seemed nowhere. Um, but I guess I should also mention too, I should have maybe said this when we were talking about Mercedes just a moment ago, but it was also evident that their pace was really nowhere near it was hyped up to be especially over one lap, Um, and before FP1, Lewis actually played down their chances and saying, he basically said that he had no idea why people believed they were going to win, and he must have known something because, yeah, it really looked like Red Bull and Ferrari were in F0 or something because they looked like they were in a completely different sport, 
Um, except for Perez, though, because honestly, he he continues to lose ground to Max in pure performance, and he was kind of nowhere all weekend. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, let's let's get into qualifying now. It, it had been confirmed that both Signs and Magnuson would be starting from the back of the grid with brand new power units. Uh, there was a bit of um, uh, uh, speculation whether Signs would only take the ten places for the control electronics because that came out earlier in the weekend, but. I don't know why you wouldn't just take the full PU, and that's what they did. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a straightforward session. Um, with with so much runoff in Paul Ricard, I think it's really hard to, um, like, you can invalidate or you can spin, but, you know, it's not really going to be like a red flagged type of session. It's just not really how Paul Ricard is. I don't think it's a super challenging track for the drivers either. Um so I would say the the biggest stories, I guess, were in Q1 were the elimination of Gasly was probably one of the biggest stories. Um, the ridiculous one lap from Kevin Magnussen, of course, and uh, the track uh, limits violation of Mick. So Gasly's lack of pace was really quite alarming considering Yuki actually was able to make it to Q3 and qualify P8. Uh, Yuki got the better of him by quite a notable margin. Gasly's back in P16 at a home race. He fared here last year pretty well in the AlphaTauri. Just more, just, I, I don't know what's going on at AlphaTauri. And I've said it a few times now um, in consecutive podcasts. Just so strange. Um, but as for the K-Mag lap, you're probably wondering what I'm saying. This guy's taking a, a new power unit. Why, why is he out there and qualifying? doesn't matter. And yeah, you're right. It didn't matter. So Hash just sent him out for one lap. And not only does he escape Q1, he puts it P6 ahead of both Mercedes. It, it was honestly really quite impressive, especially considering uh, Mick qualified P19 ahead of only Nicholas Latifi. However, like I said, Mick would have actually finished. Um, and I think he would have made it into Q2 had he not uh, had his best time deleted due to exceeding track limits. I didn't see the violation. So I don't know if it was like egregious and that's why he gained uh, the time to get out of Q1. I don't know the answer there. He might have actually had a great lap and got unlucky. I, I really don't know actually. But it was unfortunate to see Mick back down in P19 after uh, really two great weekends in a row from him. And yeah, like I said, Latifi really still struggled. Uh, was down in P20 and qualifying, um, but Albon was actually able to make it to Q2 and qualify 15th. Um, but yeah, it still it still shows that the improvement of the Williams was not drastic enough um, to really make any headway in the championship. Uh, it was Joe and Stroll that joined Gasly, Schumacher, and Latifi in the Q1 elimination zone in Q2. Again, it, it was a straightforward session. So there's not a whole lot to go over, but. The Ferrari-powered cars of Sainz and Magnussen were able to put their cars in the top 10 again. And it kind of shafted down to Ricardo because he was under a 10th from uh, Yuki Tsunoda. And had Magnussen not gone out for a lap, or I guess Sainz as well, he would have been in the top 10. But nope, uh, Magnussen just goes out and does it again, puts it in the top 10. But at the end of the day, Ricardo still starts uh, the Grand Prix from, from P9. It's not really too bad. Um, and yeah, Bottas was eliminated in Q2, like I said, Joe in Q3, and I must say, I really don't know where Alfa Romeo's pace from the start of the season has gone. Again, in the race, they weren't really anywhere. 
Um, that's not really giving away too much about the race because, yeah, nothing happened with them. It was, yeah, they, they fell to the back pretty fast. And, yeah, so strange because they were looking very fast, like especially in Bahrain, Spain. Like I thought Bontas would actually be able to battle with Mercedes at some point. Like people were talking about that. And now it's like they have no pace. It's kind of strange. But um, in Q3 as well, uh, we saw excellent teamwork from the Ferraris. Now that both those guys have made it to Q3, there really is no point in them setting any times. Uh, so Sainz just gave Leclerc a nice toad on the back straights to aid the deficit to the Red Bulls on straight line speed. Uh, and Leclerc, yeah, he ended up taking his 16th pole of his career by over two tenths to Verstappen. Perez slotted in behind Max with a, a decent lap, but even his best lap of the weekend by far was only good enough for over a tenth behind his teammate. Like, Perez was far behind the entire weekend. Practice Q1, Q2, finally puts together a good lap, and I'm not sure maybe Max didn't have a great lap. It was still not good enough to get ahead. Um, Hamilton actually put in a fantastic lap and it was still nine-tenths down on Leclerc and four-tenths down on Perez, who had been struggling all weekend in the Red Bull. But, yeah, that kind of proves the Mercedes isn't quite ready to make the leap yet because he was a quarter of a second faster than George's lap. And because George was a bit off the pace, or maybe Hamilton's lap was that much better because McLaren, honestly, like Lando, was faster over one lap than both Mercedes all weekend. And Mercedes, uh, sorry, Lewis was able to get ahead of Lando, but Lando split the Mercedes, so he actually was ahead of George. Just a fantastic Friday and Saturday in Le Castellet for McLaren and Norris especially. Um, so, yeah, heading into the race on a hot Sunday, though, would McLaren keep that going? We'll see. It seemed like it was going to be... It's, it really seemed like the race is going to be just all about tire dag. Uh, that's kind of what the story was was looking like. The The pace between the Red Bull and the Ferrari was very close. Um, we'll see what Mercedes does in the race. Usually their race pace gets a little better come race time. But Norris is there, and he's looked good this weekend. So what could he do? Um, so at the start, Leclerc and Verstappen, they both get away pretty well. They hold position. Um, but Hamilton... He gets a blistering start and almost challenges Max into turn two. So that me or sorry, turn one. He gets uh, the position from Perez, of course. And um, just as I was saying about Norris, Norris and Russell both get overtaken by Alonso, who has one of his classic lap one beauties. Just a great move around the outside of Nor- uh, Russell. Sorry, um, around turn two. He gets up into P5 just like that. Fantastic from him. Another fantastic start. Further back, Magnussen gets an epic start. Goes from P20 to P12 in two laps. And meanwhile, the much faster Ferrari of Carlos Sainz, he was only in P16 at this time. So Magnussen, he blitzes the start more so than Sainz. However, I do think that Sainz is probably being a little bit more conservative this time because the last time he started from closer to the back, it was in Australia, and that didn't go so well for him. I think it was lap two or lap three. Sainz was in the gravel trap and out of the race. So I think he he knew he had the car under him. He didn't need to make any unnecessary risks. And that's kind of why I think that was the case. But anyway, one free position was, uh, it was free for both of them. Because Esteban Ocon, 
the Frenchman in a French car at a French Grand Prix punts off Yuki Tsunoda into turn eight. Uh, massively disappointing for Tsunoda and the team after a great qualifying. Puts him into P8. It's a great position to score their first points since Gasly's P5 way back in Azerbaijan and Yuki's first points since Barcelona when he finished P10. That's like half the season so far worth of races. Spain was round six. This is round 12. Yuki scored one point since then, and Gasly has only had his P5. I mean, that is 10 points, but that's it. It's It's been really rough for AlphaTauri. But yeah, Esteban Ocon gets a five-second penalty for that incident, and I kind of have to agree. It was a bit of a slam-dunk penalty. On Ocon just goes in way too deep, gives Sonoda no space, and ruins his race. Uh, Yuki did retire shortly after, so... Pretty disappointing. Not really an incident that uh, the fans love to see. But anyways, up front, it appeared very early on that Max had quite a significant pace advantage on Leclerc, just sticking onto the back of the Ferrari driver like glue as the two pulled away, just way ahead of Lewis's slow Mercedes. But Lewis was actually doing quite well to keep Perez behind, I must say. Um, But yeah, Leclerc looked very resilient. He weathered the storm from Max. He forced him to drop back a bit to look after the tires. And on lap 16, Verstappen had to go into the pits. Um, it looked like they were trying to undercut Leclerc. Their tires were falling off a little bit. I think it was like almost a two-second gap again by the time Max pulls in. Um, and only two laps later, I'm not sure if Leclerc was feeling the pressure from the undercut. I don't know how many laps away he was from pitting. But he drops it at turn 11, crashes out, brings out the safety car, and crushes the hearts of not only Ferrari fans, but everyone who wanted to see a good race up front and a championship fight. It's it's so painful, and I don't even know what else to say about Ferrari anymore. But anyway, I'm going to talk about them in a minute. Pretty much everyone dives into the pits under the safety car because the time you make up in the pits is massive. I don't remember a pit lane being so slow. It was 27 seconds for a pit stop, they said. And it basically ruined what we thought could be a two-stop versus a one-stop strategy type of race. The one-stop was clearly optimal because you spent so much time in the pits. So, yeah, really odd. Um, by lap 22, though, we're, we're forgetting about the other Ferrari, Sainz. He had made it up to P5 at this point, was very quick on his mediums because he started on the hards, right, and everyone else was on the mediums. So he goes onto the mediums, everyone else goes onto the hards. He's got the tire advantage, he's got the pace advantage, but will they last is the question. He was able to clear George Russell for P4 um, just a few laps after lap 22, but it wasn't until lap 41 And yes, I'm jumping from lap 22 to 41 because in that stage of the Grand Prix, it wasn't wasn't a whole lot happening. So yeah, it wasn't until lap 41. He finally gets past Perez. And like I said, he put it for new mediums on lap 18. This is a very tire-hungry track. It's, It's hot as hell. And he would have to go 35 laps on a set of mediums to get to the end. So yeah, even if he cleared Perez, um, he's... All, all Russell and Perez needed to do was stay within five seconds of signs. His less durable mediums versus the more durable hards. The tires are probably going to actually come back to Perez and Russell in the fight against signs. So I understand what Ferrari does next. And you could just imagine where I'm going with this. 
but I think they blow it again. So on that very same lap that Sainz gets past Perez, they call him into the pits. And the, it had very strange optics because the radio message comes out on the broadcast while they are wheel to wheel. So it literally looks like they're fighting, they're racing next to each other and Ferrari's like not even looking at the screens and they're just doing their little pit time calculations and they're like, okay, Carlos, box, box. Oh shit, you're actually right next to Perez right now because the whole idea was that if Sainz can't clear Perez and he was behind him for a long time, then just bring him into the pits because he's going to have a tire disadvantage soon their tires are going to overheat and he might end up being vulnerable to even more cars behind, especially with a five second penalty because I didn't mention during that safety car, he gets a five second penalty for an unsafe release. So again, more Ferrari blunders, I guess. But so yeah, on lap 42, after he passes Perez, they bring him in. This is a 53 lap race. On lap 42, he pits, he loses like 32 seconds to Perez so he's like 30 seconds down and he's got like 12 laps to do it like it doesn't matter yes he sets fastest lap after fastest lap but he's not going to do it so basically they ensure that he finishes p5 with fastest lap so in my opinion bringing him in actually was the right call because they're risking too much by letting him stay out yes he could have he could have been on the podium he could have he also could have had zero points and ended up with a puncture or dropped way down because his tires fell off an absolute cliff. But the problem is, and in my opinion, they needed to bring Carlos in earlier. He passes George on, what did I say, lap, uh, I, I said lap 22, he made it up to P5. So he passes George in the 20s. I should have that written down, but I don't, I, so I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, they, they needed to pit him much earlier if they knew he was going to do a two-stop like i said 27 seconds plus the five second penalty it's going to be like a 32 second pit stop you need time to be able to make that back and i think he actually could have because the mediums would last more than 11 laps so i don't know ferrari had two fresh set of mediums going into the race and they basically went super long on one and then super short on another instead of like getting the optimal time out of both. I don't know. I'm not a professional. I shouldn't know better than Ferrari, but Ferrari's done this time after time after time. They make you feel like you know better than them. And that's honestly sad because I'd like to think I don't. But then again, Ferrari keeps doing things that make you just scratch your head. Uh, anyway... So I'm I'm gonna talk about Ferrari more. So I don't want to get too too much on the Ferrari talk right now, because the battle was uh, was not over up front. Yes, Max was way clear of Lewis, and Lewis had quite a substantial gap on Perez. To, um, but Russell was actually starting to claw back the gap to Perez, which is crazy to think about, because Red Bull has been such a good car on race trim this year. And yes, Mercedes has been better on race trim than qualifying pace, but they've still been nowhere near um, the Red Bull or the Ferrari at like every race besides like a few. Canada, they were close. And then Spain and Silverstone, I'd say they were very close. But Russell, he finally gets back into DRS range. He takes a dive down the inside in the turn eight. And the Red Bull is going to be very hard to pass because Mercedes was super slow in the straights. 
Red Bull is extremely fast on the straights. So yeah, he takes that dive bomb down the inside of turn eight, the exact same spot Ocon punts off Sonoda. It's the chicane after the DRS uh, straight. And Perez, um, he has to go straight on and cuts the corner. And George is then kind of crying to, I get, he's going to plead his case. You know, people always say, oh, whiner. And then later on, Perez is whining about something else. And I, I, I kind of hate when people complain about it because as a driver, you're going to plead your case while you still have a chance. It's always worth it. Even if it doesn't end up panning out like it didn't, Perez did not have to give the position back. You kind of have to do it. And Russell did think that um, under the rules that he should have had that position. And in my opinion, I think it would have been complete bogus to give that position to Russell. He he tried it. It was it was a fair try. But if I were Perez, I feel a tiny little bump on my rear wheel. Yeah, I'm going straight on. I'm not going to turn in on you and cost my race, especially when these guys just just tangled. In Austria, I think Perez is like, okay, this guy hits me. See you later. I'm just, I'm just cutting the corner. I'm not dealing with you. Uh, so yeah, Perez he holds on to the position. I think it was completely fair. I get why Russell pleads his case, but I don't think, I don't think he should have got a penalty either. I saw some people saying that you don't get a penalty for that. The drivers did what they should have done. Perez goes straight on to avoid the contact. Russell goes the long way around. He loses like a bit of time, um, and Perez obviously. He actually overtook Signs because he cut the corner, and then yeah, he didn't keep the position over Signs. Of course, that would have been ridiculous. But yeah, um, just a few laps later, a VSC comes out uh, for Zhou Guan Yu's retirement, and it was a pretty short VSC period. When it ends, Russell just catches Perez absolutely napping, snatches the position. It was as actually very strange. Like I don't know what Perez was doing because. It, it looked like they were racing each other for a second. And then Russell drops way back. And it says VSC ending on the broadcast screen. I don't know what the drivers are exactly seeing at this point. And I don't know what they were on at their Delta. But yeah, Russell drops way back. And then he slowly creeps in on Perez. And as soon as there's a green flag, Russell just hits the gas and blows past Perez. It was like Perez was like stalled out on the track. It was very weird how slow he was going. So I don't know what Perez was doing there, and I didn't hear from him after the race. I maybe should have checked that out. I heard from a few few drivers after the race, and I usually always love watching uh, Checkered Flag or F1 TV's post-race because you, you learn things, and I actually didn't hear from Perez. So there might be some valuable information in there. So maybe if you are curious about what happened there, I would say go check that out because I actually I didn't hear anything about that. But anyway, the, the final results were Max... In P1, a very easy win, his seventh of the season. Uh, Lewis, P2, Mercedes' best result of the campaign in his 300th Grand Prix. Congratulations to Lewis Hamilton, as he's he's really starting to gain steam in this uh, in this season. I'd say he started out pretty poor, and I think he's been getting the better of George for quite a few races now. But yeah, speaking of George, he takes P3, makes it a double Mercedes podium. It's his fourth podium of the 22 campaign. Uh, Perez settles for P4, same with Sainz settling for P5. Alonso, P6. It was a pretty underrated race from him, I, I must say. He really maximized the result. 
Uh, Norris, P7 for the second week running, as Ricardo is also P9 for the second week running. Very strange that McLaren gets the exact same result two races in a row. Um, but yeah, in between them was Ocon. Uh, he made it a double Alpine points finish at their home race, his home race as well, uh, recovered after that early penalty. So that's got to sting a little bit for Sonoda, knowing that Ocon can just ruin his race and then go on to finish P8, the exact grid slot that Sonoda started in. Um, and P10 was Lance Stroll, who actually had a pretty good race uh, by my standards. He stared, stayed barely ahead of his teammate, uh, Sebastian Vettel, who was faster at the end of the race. And there was a little moment at literally the last corner of the Grand Prix when uh, Vettel was trying to switch back onto the straight. And it is a quite a long run to the line. So Seb actually might have been able to race his teammate to the line. But Stroll had absolutely none of that. Just parks his car on the apex. And they almost literally run into each other. So I don't think Vettel was too happy about that. But honestly, if I were Lance Stroll, I would have done the exact same thing. You're you're in a team that's scoring. They're in, they're in P9. They're scoring very few points. I think that was Lance's fourth point of the season. One point is kind of a big deal at this point. So no pun intended there. But um, yeah, so I, I think I would want that P10 if I were Lance Stroll. Especially he was kind of sitting in that 10th place for a long time. I would would have hate to lo- uh, lost it right at the end. So yeah, you got to do that if you're Stroll. Um, and yeah, for those who listened to the France preview, you just heard uh, Alpine finish double points, P6 and P8, meaning that the prediction that uh, Alpine would finish below 11 and a half points, I put a poll out on my Twitter, everyone said over, I roasted all of you guys on the podcast for saying over, and look at my look at me, I have just completely, I have pie all over my face, because I said I don't think there's a chance Alpine's going to finish in the top six. Of course, Leclerc has to go and ruin that by uh, crashing out. As always, well, why can't these guys uh, finish in the top six? The th- top three teams just all finish the race for once. It hasn't happened since Miami. That was round five. Come on, guys. But yeah, Alonso does it again. Ocon's there to uh, get 12 points, so they barely get there. And that's why I picked 11.5 because I was like sixth and eighth. That's very possible. And then it's also very easy to go lower. Ugh, whatever. I, I don't even I don't even know how these things happen in F1. So yeah, anyway, Max Verstappen. Crazy. 63-point lead on Charles Leclerc now. Just just ridiculous. Uh Checo is only seven points adrift from Leclerc, and really Perez has been nowhere for a while. Uh following Perez is Carlos Sainz, who is 19 points off of him. While George Russell is the type of guy to be one point behind the fastest car in the grid on the Mercedes, or on the Mercedes, in the Mercedes, um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have been seeing that trend on social media, but that has blown up. Mercedes has actually put out some stuff themselves about George Russell reading the uh, George Russell is the type of guy tweets. It's pretty funny. If you haven't if you haven't seen that, um, you're living under a rock. No, I'm just kidding. But you should go check that out. It's funny. Uh, speaking of Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton remains in P6. He's only 16 points back of Russell. It was in the 30s at some point, so Lewis is clawing that gap back. Um, Norris, he stays in P7. He's finished P7 two times in a row, and he's P7 in the championship. And he's at 70 points. Pretty respectable from Norris. 
Uh, Ocon is in P8, finished P8 in the race, P8 in the championship, 14 points by Norris. Uh, and then 10 points further back is Valtteri Bottas, P9. He's failed to score in the last three Grand Prix. There was a lot of talk about how great he he's been this season, earlier in the season. And now I don't hear a peep from Valtteri. He was wearing a pretty cool hat this weekend, that, that bucket hat that said Paul Ricard. I'd love to have one of those. That was a cool hat. Uh, but yeah, no, not not a great uh, weekend from Valtteri. Uh, in P10, picking up momentum is uh, Fernando Alonso. Uh, what can I say? This guy, I, I'd love to see this Fernando Alonso and even a Mercedes, just like a fast car against a fast teammate. Like Ocon is is solid. He is he is a solid driver. He belongs in F1. He, but he's let's be honest. He he's nothing special. Fernando is special. Lewis Hamilton is special. Max Verstappen is special. They, we know who the special drivers are on this grid, and Ocon, I wouldn't say, is one of them. I'd love to see uh, Alonso just against some legit competition because he has been actually incredible this season, I really must say. Um, anyway, in the constructors, Red Bull leads by a whopping 82 points now over Ferrari, and the Scuderia only hold a 44-point advantage over Mercedes, which honestly is kind of embarrassing. While the battle behind them for P4 was level on points between McLaren and Alpine uh, heading into Paul Ricard, but now it's Les Bleus ahead of Les Papaya by four points. I don't know what Papaya is in French, and I actually took French immersion, but yeah, no idea what Papaya is in French. Uh, and he, another scoreless outing for Alfa Romeo has dropped them 38 points behind those two. Uh, and Haas, unfortunately, stalled out this weekend. Uh, they didn't take the opportunity to gain points. They had the momentum after two double points finishes. But, yeah, nothing from them this weekend. So they're still 17 points. But they don't lose ground uh, behind them either because AlphaTauri more struggles. They don't score any points. They stay P8. And Aston Martin actually gains on them by, well, only one point. But they're only eight points back now after Stroll's P10 um, and speaking of P10, Williams still looking for their first points since Miami, their last place in the Constructors. So now it's time for my prize, demise, and surprise. All right, we still have quite a ways to go on this podcast, uh, so let's get right into who my prize is. Uh, this is actually a tough one to give because I think Max is the obvious one. Carlos did drive a great race, but I, I don't just... I don't give the prize to who I think was the driver of the day. I try to make this my own thing because the results are just the big picture I'm always taking into consideration. So Carlos finishing P5 with a fast slap, even though he drove well, I don't think is great for him. I, d- I don't think he deserves the prize because really looking at how the weekend went, I don't think he can look at it and be like, oh, this is now better for me. Because Ferrari was letting them fight anyway, so it's not like he's gained on Leclerc and now they're going to let them fight again. He's really gained nothing, in my opinion. I think Sainz had a great weekend, but the prize to me is going to go to Lewis Hamilton because, well, this guy just had his 300th Grand Prix. It's obvious he is not slowing down. He had a pretty fantastic race, actually. I think he... He had his amazing start. He was better than Perez. He was better than Russell. And I think that he's motivated to actually not only improve the Mercedes and try to get his win this year, 
to keep that streak going. I think he's also trying to catch George Russell. Earlier on, he was taking those experimental floors. I'm not making an excuse for Lewis because I do think George was much better than him at the beginning of the season. But I think he didn't worry so much about points at the beginning of the season. Now he's like, all right, guys, let's go. Let's let's keep pushing. He says that literally after every race. It's kind of jokes. But um, I just think that he has really found um, his, his stride in that Mercedes. And, yeah, I, I really have to say that he, he deserves the prize. I just – I really think he's driven fantastic. He's gaining steam. And – Look out for Lewis Hamilton because I, I do think he's going to win a race this season. It's demise, obvious. Not going to waste time on it. Charles Leclerc, the, the scream, the radio message, if you, you know what I'm talking about if you watch the race. Oh, that was just painful to listen to. It, it gives me just goosebumps, like thinking about that, that scream. Every, everyone's been talking about it, how it's what people are going to remember from this season. Because he, he was just his mistake. Uh, uh, it made it sound like there was a throttle issue, like the radio message when he said, like, I can't find the throttle. And we know the issues with the throttle that he had in Austria. Um, but, yeah, he owned up to it right after the race and said that it was his mistake. And if that is the case, that's a massive mistake to make. Um, Leclerc should be winning this championship. I'm not really going to – well, maybe uh, – I could break down the math for you guys. Leclerc should be winning. He's 63 points back. He would have won in Spain. He would have at least scored 18 points. If he didn't win, he was scoring 18 points in this race. He should have won in Monaco. He should have won in Silverstone. It's the amount of the amount of races, guys. It's Baku. That could have been a P3. Even if it was still a Red Bull, that's 15 points. If you add that up, that's much more than what Max would have scored and you also have to take points away from max because leclerc would have been ahead of him so this this championship should be heavily favored for leclerc i think ferrari has had a better car for most of the races this season yet i'm getting ahead of myself again because i was going to talk about ferrari (laughs) anyway that that's like i guess really all the only thing i have to say about ferrari anyway Leclerc, you take a massive, massive demise L this weekend. And I love I love Leclerc. But yeah, just wear that L on your forehead. Uh, surprise, I think this one is also just completely obvious to me. And it, it is the lack of pace that Sergio Perez had. Um, and I wanted to bring this to you guys because I think it is a very, very interesting theory. I don't buy it. Just want to preface that. But some people have been talking about that the fact that the there's bigger. Um, I think there was some. I keep like the reporting of this whole floor uh, rule that's coming in has been so strange because I hear it's coming in Silverstone and then I hear nothing about the fact that it's getting pushed back until afterwards that people are talking about like Austria and then they're like, oh, it's coming for France now. And I was like, wait, what? Because I didn't hear anything going on in the Silverstone weekend, but I didn't hear it getting pushed back either until all of a sudden I hear it's coming to France. And then I think it's coming to France, and I again, I don't hear that it's getting pushed back again. So I do think that there was like a small rule change, maybe about the wooden plank for France, but now there's like a huge floor change coming for the Belgian Grand Prix, and I don't think this is going to get pushed back again, guys. So I'm really, I really am sorry for all this like misreporting about this floor stuff. 
because it has been really confusing me as well. But there's a bit of a conspiracy that Sergio Perez was actually experimenting the new Red Bull floor at uh, the French Grand Prix, and that's why his pace was so poor. Because even when Perez has been off the pace of Max, the Red Bull is still so much, it's a way better car than the Mercedes. So they know that Perez not really in the championship. Let's let's put the floor on you. You can get used to it. Um, and so there is like somewhat an advantage for Perez. But let's see how it goes. And if that is the case, and like I said, I don't buy this. But yeah, we could see a much more interesting second half um, of the championship. So yeah, I, I was surprised by that conspiracy and by the lack of pace Perez had because it was... It was really bad. I think Perez might have been, like, if this floor conspiracy isn't true, he might have been one of the most shocking drivers of the weekend. And I, I don't, I hate to call him bad because he finished P4. But yeah, no, just a not, not a good weekend from Perez. And his demeanor seemed off as well. He seemed like he, he, he looked defeated or something. It was, it was odd. But yeah, let's let's talk about the championship a little bit and a bit of the Hungarian Grand Prix. Yes, guys, I'm going to preview the Hungarian Grand Prix still. So quickly, I'm I, I, the championship is like so dead because <laughs> I'm titling this "Is It Over Already." 82 points in the constructors, 63 points Max to Leclerc in the drivers. Ferrari just can't help themselves. They continue to make mistakes and have reliability errors. And just, they're, yes, they're under a microscope. Signs actually had a very interesting post-race interview talking about how he thinks that Ferrari has done everything right so far and that they just get criticized more than any other team because they're Ferrari. I don't agree, but that was a very interesting take. He is standing by his team, and I, I think you do have to respect that. But... Yeah, if you haven't seen that, you should go check that out because he was a bit fiery over it. Um, but yeah, Ferrari can't help themselves. Perez has lost everything he had at the beginning. People were talking about, myself included, a Perez potential championship fight. I did not think over the course of a season that Perez would be able to hold on to Max. But I thought there could be like interesting points where it's like, oh, Perez has the better of Max here. And then Max would kind of go on a run where he's better than Perez. And then Perez would come out and shine again but it Perez has been off the pace for a bit now he was bad in Canada after Baku we all thought Baku was going to be a race Perez could win his tire management cost him um and plenty of races now Silverstone everything goes wrong Austria he gets punted off and then today no pace and in qualifying he hasn't really been close to Max in a while either um and also on the Red Bull side like for positives they haven't had any reliability issues on any car since canada and that was prez's car and max hasn't dnf since australia that was round three it's round 12 we were talking about red bull's reliability back then nobody talks about it anymore it's all about ferrari's reliability so yeah is this championship over already i don't know you guys let me know i'm gonna throw this on my tiktok so now let's let's get into Hungary. Um, I I think things actually I give them just I just gave them a super hard time, but I think things might actually go Ferrari's way in Hungary. Um, on paper, they should actually do extremely well here. 
Sector 3 in France is a windy, flowing part of uh, Paul Ricard. It's uh, very straight, heavy up until then. Um, and it was purely dominated by Ferrari. Yes, Red Bull might have been optimizing their straight line speed so the setups can, can make a big difference. And Ferrari might have been optimizing their downforce. So that might have made the gaps in both straight line speed and cornering even bigger than they are normally. Um, but yeah, Hungar Ring, another short track. It's kind of like Austria where, again, we saw Ferrari do extremely well. And I would say it's even more downforce dependent than Austria. Well, I wouldn't say it, just it is. And it has the two DRS zones back to back. They're, the second one's pretty short. Even the main straight's not super long. So I wouldn't say straight line speed is a huge advantage to have in Hungary. Um, and really, there's no overtaking the rest of the lap after that. So I think this track should suit Ferrari very nicely. Um, I want to quickly say the Hungaroring to me is actually the Lewis Hamilton track, uh, even more so than Silverstone. And the reason for that is, in my opinion, um, the man wins here even when he doesn't have the car to do it on paper. In 2009, in 2012, uh, and also 2013, which is my favorite one of them all, he didn't have a championship winning machine, and yet he still wins those races. 2013 was his first win with Mercedes, and of course he holds the record for the most wins at a single event here with uh, eight career wins, along with himself at the British Grand Prix and Michael at the French Grand Prix. I said that actually in the last couple podcasts. These things just keep coming up for some reason. Well, I guess it's because we just had the British and the French Grand Prix. Um, so yeah, I, I think Lewis can do very well here, although I'm not sure if the Mercedes is really going to love this hungry track. It, uh, yeah, like I said, if it's anything like Austria and Sector 3 in France, they're, they're going to be kind of where they've been. I don't see them making a big step, but they might bring a small upgrade and who knows, maybe it helps. Who knows also, maybe there's some reliability issues for some teams because that has been the one silver lining of their season. I mentioned this in the Tim Haraney interview. Mercedes has not had an reliability error except for Spain, whatever happened with their with their fuel tanks. That was the only thing that's come up all season long. Everything else has been like the stiffness of their suspension and the porpoising and yada, yada, yada. Uh, last year, Hungary my favorite race of the season. Hungary is a very strange, like the Hungarian Grand Prix, I should say, is a very strange event where on, I've said on paper like three times already, but on paper, it shouldn't be a good race. There, sh there shouldn't be a lot of racing, a lot of overtaking, but yet it's kind of like Azerbaijan where things just always seem to happen here. I think, I, I believe it was 2013 and 2014. There's two consecutive years in the teens the Hungarian Grand Prix was fantastic. The Hungarian last year was fantastic. There's been a lot of good races here at the Hungaroring. Um, and last year we had a shocking win from Esteban Ocon uh, after probably one of the weirdest opening few laps of a Grand Prix that I've ever seen. Um, obviously we had Bottas playing bowling uh, with F1 cars, taking out both the Red Bulls, um, Lando, uh, and then so there was some like secondary contact made stroll went into Leclerc and both their races when Ricardo got spun out it was insane and then the sea just parts for Esteban Ocon to go through and then we had 
Lewis Hamilton starting by himself and then the cars starting from the pit lane and George just passing the queue up into P3 and Latifi was in P3 or P4 or whatever it was for like a long time and Lewis Hamilton was at the back complaining about not being able to get past Antonio Giovinazzi like and then we had the crazy battle between Hamilton and Alonso later that secured the win for Ocon and then after the race Vettel gets disqualified like that was an absolute roller coaster of a race and it was at a hung- the Hungara ring, which is, <laughs> it really isn't that special of a track to me, yet things just continue to happen. So I am looking forward to the Hungaro, uh, Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, my predictions, I don't have Ocon repeating on the top step, that's for sure. Uh, I'm in fact going to make a bold call though. Not as bold as Ocon <laughs> getting his second race win. But speaking of second race win, I got Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz was fast here last year. He was very good at the French Grand Prix. I think he's coming into his own. And, yeah, he was, he was good in Austria until his engine blew. He's going to have that fresher engine. Um, I think he's going to finish ahead of Charles Leclerc. Yes, I am predicting a Ferrari 1-2 after all the slander that I give this team. I just think they're going to have a dominant car, and they can't, they can't just have a bad weekend every weekend. You'd think one of these weekends they have to do well. So I'm going to say a Ferrari 1-2. Max Verstappen takes P3 ahead of Lewis, P4, George, P5. I think Perez is going to continue to struggle and finish down in P6. Again, can we please get a race where all these guys finish? If they could all, we could all see them battling at 1.2, that would be fantastic. I'm praying for it. <laughs> so my bold prediction... Uh, before I wrap up here, uh, last week I did Albon finishing in the points. Didn't quite pan out, although he, he was close this week. Um, or what am I saying? He was close. Um, but, yeah, this this one I think Sainz win is already pretty bold. Um, but I'll say Alpine have a double DNF. Yeah, after Ocon wins the Hungarian Grand Prix, Alpine has been fantastic lately. I'm going they have a double DNF. McLaren scores double points. They retake P4 in the Constructors. Book it. All right, guys, that'll do it for the Esteban Gutierrez episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 22 after the Hungarian Grand Prix. Then the summer break is here, and I have some exciting stuff to do over the summer break. We're going to have a season recap, and we're going to have another interview with Tim Haraney. It's going to be great. Looking forward to that. Goodbye.